Well, good morning and welcome to Theological Equipping Class. Uh, hope that you are doing well. This semester we've been studying defending the faith, uh, what is called apologetics, which is, doesn't mean that we're sorry or we're apologizing. We're giving a defense. That's what an apologia is, to give a defense. And so the first part of uh, this semester, we mainly talked about things like the existence of God and can we trust the Bible and these kind of things. For this uh, last part of the semester, we're going to be talking about different worldviews, different sects different cults, different religions, and these kind of things, so that you might know how to best engage with people that don't have a Christian worldview like you might have. Now, last week, Jeff kicked us off by talking about kind of an intro to world religions and uh, what makes them different, what makes them similar. And uh, before we get into some of these bigger religions like Buddhism and Hinduism and these kind of things, we're actually going to talk about a pretty common, at least becoming more and more common worldview, uh, which is atheism. And so uh, some would define this as a religion, others would define it simply as a worldview, but either way, they hold certain views when it comes to morality or the lack thereof, when it comes to humanity and uh, what makes us special or are we special when it comes to the beginning of the universe and how we got there. And so uh, the reason that we are starting off with atheism is just because the belief system is pretty simple. It's that there is no God. There are no gods, plural, and there is no God, singular. That is the view of atheism, okay? Now, beyond that, they believe all kinds of different things. They have different views on metaphysics and different views on morality and different views on these kind of things. And so uh, it's hard to just systematize all of it, but we're gonna talk about the main and central claim of atheism, which is that there is no God. And we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about the problems with atheism. You see, everybody puts forward a worldview And in that worldview, you have to be more consistent in your worldview than someone else's worldview. Every worldview has holes in it. Every worldview has problems. But who can hold to the most consistent worldview? That's really what you're trying to do. And so an atheist can't just shoot down God and then think, ah, perfect. Now I'm just in some neutral spot. No, you actively hold views on certain things and you have to defend those too. And so whereas we've been doing a lot of what is called apologetics, like I mentioned, defending your own position, this will be a lesson that is somewhat on what is called polemics. Polemics is where you attack the position of another. So apologetics is defending your own position. Polemics is attacking the position of your opponents. And uh, the Christian thinker, the one that seeks to defend the faith, would want to be able to do both. But with that in mind, let us uh, open with a word of prayer, and then we will get into this topic. Almighty God, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. We ask that you would protect us, that you would guide us, that you would encourage us. I pray that as we come across those who are atheists, that we would be able to be salt and light, that, uh, that they might hear of the wonders of the gospel and turn from their disbelief. I pray for anybody listening to this who might be tempted towards atheism, might be tempted towards uh, agnosticism. They don't know why certain things are happening or they've been going through a difficult season or they don't see you as loving. I pray that you would remind them that that is just mankind's attempt to deflect. Would you encourage them that we're not saved by our strength of the strength of our faith? We're not saved by the strength of our repentance. We're not saved by our actions. It's a gift. We're saved by a gift, the gift of Christ, that it's okay to be a Christian who's hurting. It's okay to be a Christian who's struggling with sin, that you still love us. Would you be with us in Christ's name? Amen. All right, well, let's talk about atheism and let's get into a little introduction. Now, one of the things you need to know is that atheism is very uncommon, historically speaking, okay? Mankind will not naturally be an atheist. I can't think of a society that has ever arisen that has been naturally atheistic. You have to teach mankind to be an atheist. 
Even if you are a complete heathen, like they were in the ancient world with the Greeks and the Romans, they were at least polytheists. And so mankind naturally does not think, I didn't get here for any reason, and there's nothing, there's no life after death, and there's no standard of morality, and there's no divine being that exists. That's not what's naturally in the heart of man. Mankind is naturally religious because God has created us to be so. And so atheism historically has been very uncommon. Even a lot of people that would want to reject Christianity. So if you think back past the Enlightenment or you think to some of the founding fathers of America that were deistic, they uh, have a tendency not to want to believe in Christianity, but they still believe there was some uncaused cause. They still believe there was some type of divine being that kind of started the world and you know, wound it up like a clock, like a big mechanism, and then let it go. So atheism is very uncommon, historically speaking. Now, where you do get atheism... It's different than what we experience today. So let me give you some traditional features of atheism, whether it's Victorian-style atheism or whatever it might be. Traditional atheism was often quiet and kept to itself. You have to understand, for most of Western history, especially in a Judeo-Christian worldview, if you are an atheist, this is not something you want to promote. This is something that you tend to be quiet about. You might even pretend to be religious, even if you were not. It's sought often to coexist with other religions, So it didn't seek to get rid of all religion. It it typically just kind of hung out with everybody. It played nice with others. Traditional atheism played nice with others. It was often based on philosophical instead of much weaker, merely scientific evidence. Now we'll talk in just a second about why uh, philosophical arguments are much stronger than scientific arguments. The main reason being is that God is not a material being. Science can only study what is material, and God is not a material being. He's not, he's not uh, creation. He's creator. He's infinite. He is spirit. He does not have a body. The, the tools of science cannot be used to study God in that sense because he is a being unlike everything else we study. <clears throat> Traditional atheism produced very so, uh, sophisticated arguments. And you need to understand this, especially if you're a Christian who probably walks in a lot of pride. If you think atheists are stupid, that's ridiculous, okay? Atheism is wrong, but it is not a stupid position. Just like Mac Revolution is wrong, but it is not a stupid position. Traditional atheism has produced some of the greatest thinkers in the Western world, okay? Thinkers such as Friedrich Nietzsche, or Jean-Paul Sartre, or Marquis de Sade, or Sigmund Freud, or Albert Camus, or John Stuart Mill, or Karl Marx, or Martin Heidegger, or David Hume, or Bertrand Russell, and others, okay? So it's a wrong position, but you need to know that it's not a stupid position, and you should read thinkers that you disagree with, especially if they are smarter than you, okay? Now that's traditional atheism. Now let's talk about the kind of atheism that we have been seeing now for the past few decades, uh, not only in America, but in Europe and some of these other places, what is called the new atheism. I don't know if you know this or not, but atheism has made a resurgence. It has made a comeback. And so now there is what is called the new atheism. And uh, I'm going to give you the major leaders of this movement. They were called traditionally the four horsemen of the new atheism. And uh, they are the following, okay? There's a bunch of uh, people in this movement, but these are kind of the big boys. One is named Richard Dawkins. You probably have heard about this guy. He is an evolutionary biologist at Oxford University. The other guy's name is Daniel Dennett. He's a professor of cognitive studies at Tufts University. The other is a guy named Sam Harris. He's a neuroscientist and a best-selling author. And then the last one is named Christopher Hitchens. He was a journalist and a cultural critic. He actually died in uh, 2011 due to cancer. Uh, But he was probably the most fun, in my opinion, of these guys to read. He was very clever, very witty. Uh, But those are kind of the big ones. Dawkins, Dennett, Harris, and Hitchens. Two Ds and two Hs. Those are the major leaders of the new atheism. 
And you'll notice that these are very popular guys. They have a lot of followers on social media. They have their own websites, their own books, their own brands. They write controversial sounding titles like uh, God is Not Great by Christopher Hitchens or The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins or Breaking the Spell by Daniel Dennett or whatever it might be. And so uh, anyway, they are, uh, they are pretty popular. Now, let me give you the eight features of this new atheism that makes it a little different than traditional atheism, okay? First of all, number one, boldness. That's a huge one. These guys and those that follow them are really excited about being atheist and they like want everybody to know. They're like atheistic evangelists. They're like the CrossFit of worldviews. As soon as you meet a CrossFitter, they're like, you need to know I do CrossFit and that makes me cool because I pay people money for things I could just do by myself in my garage. Well, these guys, as these, uh, these atheists, these new atheists, they're very excited about being atheist and they want everybody to know and they are extremely bold. They're sarcastic. Some of them are funny. Some of them have more of a sense of humor than others, but let me give you a few quotes from these guys, okay? Sam Harris says this. In fact, notice the boldness here. <clears throat> In fact, atheism is a term that should not even exist. No one ever needs to identify himself as a non-astrologer or a non-alchemist, right? So an astrologer is somebody who thinks that the world's controlled by the stars or an alchemist that you can turn lead to gold through these weird kind of experiments. We do not have words for people who doubt that Elvis is still alive or that aliens have traversed the galaxy only to molest ranchers and their cattle. Atheism is nothing more than the noises reasonable people make in the presence of unjustified religious belief. That's Sam Harris, okay? Let me give you another one. This one comes from Christopher Hitchens. We keep on being told that religion, whatever its imperfections, at least instills morality. On every side, there is conclusive evidence that the contrary is the case and that faith causes people to be more mean, by the way, I think it's meaner actually, which is ironic because he's critiquing Christians for being dumb, to be more mean, more selfish, and perhaps above all, more stupid. So what Christopher Hitchens is saying is that you might say that at least religion's good because it instills morality. And he's saying that's the opposite of what it instills. Some of the worst things that have ever been done in human history has been done because of religion. If you don't believe me, just look back to the Crusades or the Inquisition or the destroying of the Twin Towers on 9-11, right? These are done by religious people, is what he would say. Christopher Hitchens also says, this one's pretty clever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will believeth in anything, okay? That's kind of clever. It's not making fun of God. It's making fun of Christians. But uh, he'll say things like that. Again, they, they like to poke. They like to prod. They like to try to make you upset. Richard Dawkins says, I found it an amusing strategy when asked whether I'm an atheist to point out that the questioner is also an atheist when considering Zeus, Apollo, Amun, Ra, Mithras, Baal, Thor, Wotan, the golden calf, and the flying spaghetti monster. I just go one God further, okay? So what he's saying is, in a sense, everyone is an atheist, atheist with certain gods. He's just saying I'm an atheist with all gods. Now there's a logical mistake there. The, the difference between saying that there's only one God and there is no God is very different than what he is, uh, is claiming. And then here's one from Daniel Dennett. There's simply no polite way to tell people they've dedicated their lives to an illusion, okay? So these guys are feisty, they're fired up. Number one is boldness, okay? Number two of the new atheism, focus, focus. They don't just deny a God in general, but specifically the Christian God. Now that's really important. 
okay? They're not just atheistic, they are anti-Christian. Now, some of them, like Hitchens, is very much also against Islam. He hates the notion of Allah and all the problems that Islam causes. But a lot of these guys are very vehement against Christians because that's the culture in which they live, okay? They are uh, Europeans or Americans, and so that's kind of their, uh, their focus, okay? Uh, Richard Dawkins says, we've read this quote before, but I think it's important because he's specifically denying the God of the Bible. He says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. All right, man, a lot of name calling going on there with, uh, with our boy here, Richard Dawkins, uh, but that's what they're doing. They have a focus. They don't just deny God in general, but the Christian God in particular, okay? Number three, science is a big focus on this. Their arguments are based more on science than philosophy. Most of them are by training professional scientists, okay? So all of them except for Hitchens are by training professional scientists. Number four, dogmatism, dogmatism. They attack even liberal forms of Christianity for aiding and abetting religion, and they think that agnostics are cowards. Here's what I mean by that. If somebody says Christianity's done with all this resurrection, Jesus being eternal stuff, let's just keep the shell of Christianity, loving others and being nice and loving our neighbor, okay? What the atheist will say is stop aiding and abetting false religion. You either need to be an atheist or nothing. If you're gonna be a Christian, at least be a traditional Christian. At least stand up for what you believe. Don't be some liberal Christian that pretends to follow the Bible while really denying all the important stuff. Additionally, they hate agnostics. Why? Because agnosticism is lazy man's atheism. If you're an agnostic, you're somebody who basically says, I'm not smart enough and I don't care about taking enough time to think about the most important things in the world, so I'll just be lazy and not know what I believe, okay? If you're gonna be right or you're gonna be wrong, be smart either way. If you're gonna be wrong, be smart wrong. Have thought through all the options. And so they hate the idea of agnosticism. That's somebody who just doesn't know if God exists. Gnosis means uh, knowledge. So an agnostic, agnosis means, uh, I don't know, no knowledge, okay? No knowledge. And so they would say that those are uh, uh, just being weak. They need to pick, either be an atheist or be a Christian, but don't be a liberal Christian and don't be an agnostic. You need to pick. The, the lines have been drawn in the sand. Number five, persecution. Listen to this. They believe that Christians should be punished, not all of them, but a lot of them, legally and socially for their beliefs. So they're not big on just freedom of religion. Everybody do what you want. They think that there should be social consequences and maybe even political or governmental consequences for being a person of faith. They would be the kind of people that very much would not want a Christian, even if they had a PhD in science, being allowed to a science department at a university, okay? Number six, slander is a big part in their movement. They believe that catechizing children into a religion is child abuse. By you sitting there telling your kid, if you don't believe in Jesus, you will go to hell. You should have a bunch of shame because God commands all these things that we can't do. You're just mentally beating up your child and that it is a type of mental child abuse, okay? Mental child abuse. These guys are not, uh, they don't play well with others, okay? They are uh, very aggressive. Number seven, Militarism, militarism. Here's what I mean by this. Theism must be eliminated to continue scientific progress and to achieve world peace, okay? Let me say this as strongly as I can. Richard Dawkins believes that if you are somebody who has faith in a God, that you literally, literally, 
He's not just saying this for rhetorical flourish. You literally have a mental illness, okay? Christians are mentally deranged and need medical help from his view. He believes that we have what are called memes. Now, this doesn't mean what we mean in our society. A meme in our society is like a funny picture with a cultural reference that people tag with different words, and it's really funny. They go out online and these kind of things. And so uh, that's what we think of as a meme. He has defined what he calls a mind gene, okay? In the same way that you have genes, you have genetics, you have a mind gene, what he calls memes. And if he could get into your mind and take out that meme that makes you more religious or makes you believe in God, he would do so. Okay, that is Dawkins' view on this. They, are mil- they want to stomp out Christianity. They don't want to be one worldview. They want to be the worldview and they want to destroy all dissenters, okay? And then lastly, unsophistication is actually a mark of this. Unsophistication, they don't seem to have a very good grasp on the issues and they use arguments that have already been refuted by Christian thinkers, okay? Here's the deal. If you really want to read intelligent arguments for atheism, then read the older guys that I mentioned. Read David Hume. He's a brilliant atheist. Read Friedrich Nietzsche. He's a brilliant atheist. Read Albert Camus. Read these kind of guys if you want a good argument for atheism, okay? But these guys are very not scientific. They're, they're very scientific. They're very not sophisticated. They're not very logical. They're not very philosophical. They're not very sharp philosophically. Most of their arguments have already been addressed by Christian thinkers for hundreds of years, okay? So when they say, well, if God is good, then why do we see things that look bad in the world? I mean, Augustine dealt with that, I don't know, 1,600 years ago. We've already dealt with that. They just haven't read Augustine, right? They're not going to read somebody that's not an atheist or something like that. They even quote atheist websites in their books as if that's an academic reference. That's like you quoting Wikipedia in your doctoral dissertation. So if you read their books, they're not quoting from the big boys. They're not quoting from Boethius or Anselm or Aquinas or something like this. They're quoting from some atheist website that some guy made in his mom's basement as if that's a proof for their argument. So they're not really sophisticated. There's a uh, philosophy professor, a guy named Alvin Plantinga that I had the pleasure of meeting and uh, getting to hang out with a little bit. And he's one of the top philosophy of religion guys in the world. He taught at the University of Notre Dame. I don't know if he still teaches there or not. He's getting, uh, getting up there in years. But he said this in a lecture I heard him give. He said, I'd say that Richard Dawkins' understanding of philosophy is sophomoric, but that would be an insult to my sophomores. Okay? So you need to know these guys aren't really there to, to have the debate. They're not really there to think through the issues. They're there to just spout out their stuff and not really challenge themselves with the better arguments for Christianity or for theism. That's an overview of kind of the new atheism. Let me give you some problems with atheism. Okay? We're doing some polemics. Let me give you some problems with atheism. First, there's a problem when it comes to ethics. They have no objective standard by which you can truly call an action good or bad. They have no objective standard by which you can truly call an action good or bad. Now, don't get me wrong. They will say that some things are good and some things are bad. They will even write books and these kind of things about how you can be good without God. The problem with that, though, is they just don't have an objective standard for what that good is. They don't have what Hegel would call a moralitate. They don't have this kind of standard Kantian definition of what uh, makes something good or bad. So can you be good without God? Sure, but then what on earth do you mean by the word good? Do you just mean people think it's good? What objective standard are you using? If good is based on opinion, then it doesn't exist at all. We can have differing opinions. You think adultery is good, I think it's bad. Who's right? They don't have a way of answering who's right. It's just opinion. Or if you say that good is based on popular opinion. That's what some of them say, that well, good and bad is not objective. 
Good and evil are not objective. It's what society says is good and evil. Okay, well then if the Romans think infanticide, leaving your child outside the door to just die because you don't want that kid is okay, then in their view, it's okay. Or conversely, if you can get enough of the population to believe that you should be gassing Jews in the 1940s, then you can do so according to their worldview. They wouldn't agree with that, but it's the logical conclusion of what they're saying. They have a tendency to say, no, you can still be good without God, but then when you ask, what do you mean by good? They either mean personal opinion, societal opinion, or what's called utilitarianism. Whatever produces more pain than pleasure for the greatest number of people. Now, we have a uh, lecture on ethics that you can listen to if you want to know more about this. But what some people do who deny God is they'll say, okay, you can still have an objective standard of good and bad. What's good is what produces the most pleasure for the most number of people. Okay, and what's bad is the opposite. Well, the problem with utilitarianism, the problem with that view is if abusing a child were to bring a lot of pleasure to a lot of people, then abusing a child is good in that view. There's a lot of holes in that utilitarian system, okay? So what's weird is the first problem with atheism is that they don't have a standard of ethics. They don't have a standard of good and evil. Ironically, they'll critique God for there being evil in the world, but then when you ask them what evil means, they don't actually have an objective standard of what that means. If I were, for example, to commit adultery with an atheist's wife, he wouldn't like that. But the question is, why? If he thinks it's bad, it's his opinion, and I think it's good, well, then we're even. If he thinks that society gets to determine that it's bad or good, well, I should just live in a society where people don't care as much about sexual morality, like the U.S. is becoming, and then all of a sudden it's okay. What he would feel is he would feel that he had somehow been objectively wrong, but he wouldn't be able to put it into words. He wouldn't be able to explain why it's wrong. If I like it, and if his wife likes it, well, now it's two versus one. Now it almost seems like our opinion should matter more if we're just talking about opinions of what's good and bad. In fact, if I'm just an evolved ape and my job is to be able to uh, just spread my genes and to be able to procreate more, then why would I care that it's his wife at all? You see, the atheist doesn't have a good response to these things. Second problem with atheism, existence. Existence, here's what I mean by that. And this question goes back to Gottfried Leibniz, who is one of the most brilliant thinkers in the history of the world, co-discovered calculus with Newton, came up with a way to solve most metaphysical issues in philosophy, just a brilliant, brilliant German guy. Atheism gives no explanation for why there is something rather than nothing, how the universe began or how we got to today. So what Leibniz would say is, why is there something rather than nothing? That's a great question. It's a big question. Why is there something rather than nothing? If there was no God and no purpose ultimately, then you would think that there would just be nothingness. But instead there's something. Why? Why is there something rather than nothing? Nothing seems simpler than something and yet something exists. The atheist doesn't have a good response to these things, okay? What is the problem when the atheist says, well, God didn't create the universe, the universe has always existed. Well, we talked about this with the cosmological argument. That doesn't work because you could have never gotten to today. If the universe has always existed, then it means it's infinity years old, okay? How long does it take to cross an infinite? How long does it take to get across infinity years? The answer is infinity years. And so you would have never gotten to today. If the world goes backwards, infinity, you would never have gotten to today at the point that I'm talking right now with an infinite universe. God doesn't run into that problem because God is not a material being. God is outside space and time and the rules needed when it comes to these scientific explanations. Additionally, it's unscientific to say that something physical like the universe was its own cause, okay? Was its own cause. No effect can be its own cause. It doesn't work that way. You can't just have no universe And then the universe that doesn't exist yet starts the universe existing, okay? That is unscientific 
objectively speaking. Everything they believe about the beginning of the universe, additionally, is conjecture. One of the strongest proofs against atheism is simply to ask, how did we get here? Yeah, you like to talk about monkeys evolving, but that doesn't explain how everything came to be. Everything you think about what happened is pure conjecture. It's pure conjecture. Another problem with the atheistic worldview, determinism, determinism. Let me explain this and then I'll break it down. If nothing spiritual exists, then all the actions of humans are mechanistically determined. Humans cannot be held accountable for their actions. They could not have done otherwise. Okay, this is an idea that goes back to an atheistic thinker, David Hume, and uh, others before him had commented on this as well. This is the problem of determinism and free will. Let me break it down as simply as I can. Imagine for a second that there is nothing spiritual. God doesn't exist. Angels don't exist. Your soul doesn't exist, okay? That everything is literally just matter. Everything is just atoms bumping into other atoms. It's just pure matter and pure physics. You with me so far? That means that every action you do, you had to do. You had to do it. Why did I eat Whataburger for lunch other than the fact that it's delicious? Well, because a chemical changed in my brain, because something else changed it, because something else changed it, because something else went back to a memory I had, something else went, and it made me choose to go eat at Whataburger. I never had a choice in, in, in this whole process, right? A long time ago, one atom moved another atom, and that moved another atom, and that moved another atom until Zach was born, and then the chemicals in my brain move other things, and that causes my arms to move. I literally am mechanistically determined in every single thing that I do. That's a problem with an atheistic worldview. If everything's simply material, then we are all machines and every decision we made, we had to make. The person who committed murder should not be guilty of murder. They had to. A chemical changed in their brain, which caused their arm to move, which caused them to pull the trigger because something else had happened earlier. And we're just one big mechanical system, okay? In the same way that when you look into the inside of how a computer works, things aren't just randomly deciding to do stuff. They're wired to do certain things. So is all of the universe if atheism is true. So they don't have a response to determinism and free will. Identity, okay? Identity, this is another problem with atheism. If humans are merely physical and we don't have souls, then there is nothing consistent that makes me, me. So let me ask this question. Let's say for a second we don't have souls because we're just animals and we were just evolved and there's no God and there's nothing uh, immaterial. Let's say we don't have souls. What is it that makes Zach, Zach? Is it just my memories? That if you had the same memories I had, you would be Zach? If I got amnesia and lost my memories, there would be no more Zach? Is that the answer? If you put my brain in your body and your brain in my body from, through some scientific experiment, who is who? Who's who, right? Uh, also, notice this. I think this is really interesting. All my biological cells in my entire body are replaced several times during my lifetime, Okay? So if you don't have a soul, you don't have something that makes you you, even your body's not the same body you used to have. The cells are replaced. If I don't have a soul, then the person who murdered someone 10 years ago is literally a different person than they were when they committed the murder. So if you have somebody who went to jail for murder and then all their cells change to where they're a new person and they have no soul, they're just their body, then they're no longer the murderer. The murderer died when their cells died and they're literally a new person. There is no I in this worldview. There's only a we of cells and bacteria and such. You're just a colony of things inside of you, but there's nothing that makes you you. So the atheist has to deal with identity. The atheist also has to deal with consistency. Now, let me explain this one because I find this one to be interesting. 
Imagine for a second that you're a Christian. Hopefully that's true of you, so it's easy to imagine. Can you trust your mind to some extent? Well, yeah, you can't just trust your sinful, broken mind on everything, how to save yourself or something like that, but God has wired your mind to where you can trust certain things, okay? You know that you should eat food, and you know that two plus two equals four, and you know that murder's wrong and these kind of things. Your mind is a good thing because God made it good, okay? The atheist, though, has no reason to trust their mind because for them, it wasn't created to help them find truth. It just evolved to help them stay alive. To say it another way, if the mind evolved not to find truth, but to stay alive, then the atheist is inconsistent in trusting their mind, okay? Atheists often deny absolute truth and then hold absolutely that God does not exist. There's some inconsistencies in this position. One cannot prove, disprove, I'm sorry, one cannot disprove the existence of God. How do you prove a universal negative for a being who is not material? Science changes every few years. How could you rest ultimate questions on it? That's not the role of science. The role of science is to empirically observe the world around you. It doesn't ask the big questions like why. It only deals with things like efficient causes. It can't deal with things like final causes. That's outside the realm of science. There's a lot of inconsistencies in the atheistic worldview, but I wanna go back to the one that I mentioned uh, at first. If you're, my, if you're an atheist, why on earth would you trust that you're right? If you're an atheist, how could you know that atheism is true? Because your mind didn't evolve to find truth. It simply evolved to stay alive. Your mind evolved so that you might believe whatever is useful to believe so you don't get eaten, but not actually to find truth. You see, the Christian is more consistent in trusting their mind if they think it was created by a good God and was given to us to help us understand things versus the atheist who simply thinks it's an organ that evolved to help them stay alive. There's a lot of inconsistencies in atheism. Another problem with atheism, okay? Evolution. Now, I'm not gonna get into the problems with evolution. We have a whole lesson on the difference between micro and macro evolution and can Christians hold to some form of evolution uh, or should they not? We have a whole lesson on that you can listen to that's in this series for this semester. Here's what I mean by evolution being a problem with atheism when it comes to human value. Humans, in their view, are merely one type of animal with no qualitative difference than another, okay? Think about what that means. That means that killing a monkey and killing a human are morally the same thing. In fact, there's a uh, philosophy uh, professor at Princeton. His name's Peter Singer. And he believes that if you had a very intelligent ape and you had a mentally handicapped child and the ape was smarter than the child and your house was to catch on fire and both of these things are in your house, it is more moral to save the ape than it is the mentally handicapped human. Okay, That's that's a consequence of atheism. Okay, that's a consequence of atheism. Stepping on a bug might be the moral equivalent of killing a human, okay? But you get into other problems if you think that humans are just an evolved ape. If it's best for humanity to pursue survival of the fittest, you should be trying to get rid of weak genes. Why help the sick? Why help the poor? Why help the weak? Why support homosexuality or transgenderism, both of which do not help propagate the species? That's what's so weird is that most atheists are on the left-leaning spectrum, obviously, not right-leaning spectrum when it comes to political and social issues. Why would you support homosexuality and transgenderism if you think it is a defect from an atheistic worldview? Why would you try to help the weak or the poor? Why would you not just let the thinning of the herd happen so that you could get eugenics, so that you could get the best possible humans that you breed intentionally for success and survival and intelligence and strength? Many atheists originally promoted racism. Now, this is really interesting. 
okay? Especially when you meet uh, someone who's an atheist who's a minority, which I've met several times and I find that interesting because I'm not sure that uh, all the research has been done on traditionally what atheists have believed. Many atheists originally promoted racism because if humanity evolved, then some forms of humanity might be more evolved than others. Notice that's not the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview is that God has made from Adam all the different kinds of humans and that a a, a white person, a Hispanic person, an African-American person all have equal value in God's eyes. Okay, that's the Christian view. The Christian view is against racism. The atheistic view is that if we are all evolved, then some types of humans might be more evolved than other types. As a reminder, the full title of Charles Darwin's book, On the Origin of Species, is actually, On the Origin of Species, by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races and the struggle for life. If you wonder why you don't see that title at Barnes & Noble, it's because it wouldn't sell as well. It's because it wouldn't sell as well. Charles Darwin says this in his other book, The Descent of Man. The Western nations of Europe now so immeasurably surpass their former savage progenitors that they stand at the summit of civilization. The civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races throughout the world. That's the atheistic position. You, that, that, that is what many of them have held. I don't want to say all of them. That'd be too far. But that is the view that many of them have held. And that is possibly one of the logical implications of believing in macroevolutionary theory. A few other problems with atheism, since that is, the, after all, the uh, title of this lecture. Evil. The problem with evil. Listen to this. The atheist cannot say that anything is objectively evil, only that people do or don't like it. This kind of goes back to the morality issue. Now listen to what this means, okay? Here's what I'm saying with the problem of evil for the atheist. So, so hear this. This means that one of the most common arguments against the existence of God, that there's evil in the world, is void. They cannot say there's evil in the world, only that things happen that they don't like. They don't like a pedophile's actions, but they can't say they are objectively and universally evil, okay? You can't say that God allows evil, but that God doesn't exist. So let me, let me just break this down uh, for you. One of the most common arguments against Christianity is this, that God doesn't exist because there's evil in the world. You can't hold both of those. If God doesn't exist, then there's no standard of good or evil, and there's not evil in the world. There's just stuff that happens that you don't like. If there's an objective standard of good and evil, well, now all of a sudden God exists. You can't have both. I was at uh, Benihana uh, a while back, before coronavirus, BC, and I was there with some friends because Benihana is delicious and they cook the food in front of you. And we got a guy who was a, uh, a Benihana chef and he asked, you know, why we were all hanging out. It was a group of guys that I'm discipling. I was discipling at the time here from Parkway. I've got a different group that I'm discipling now. And one of the guys told him that we went to church together and we were friends and this guy proceeded to tell us this story about how he had become an atheist, that formerly he would say he was a Christian and now he would say he is an atheist. And so one of the guys in my group asked him, well, why is that? Why do you not believe in God anymore? And his response was that God turned his back on him, that God had turned his back on him and that's why he wasn't a Christian anymore. And that's why he actually wasn't even a theist anymore, that he was an atheist or an agnostic. Now, because I have to pretend to be a pastor in public, I didn't say what I was thinking, which is, well, wait a second, wait a second. If God doesn't exist, then nobody turned their back on you. And if somebody turned their back on you, then God exists. You have to pick one or the other. You, you can't hold the weird position you're holding. You can't say, uh, I don't think God exists because God was mean to me. That doesn't work. Either God exists and was mean to you, and I don't actually think God was mean to him. I think he misunderstood God's sovereignty. But either God exists and he's mean to you in this scenario, 
Or if he doesn't exist, he didn't turn his back on you. You got exactly what should have happened in a world that is not ordered, in a world that is not ordained, okay? Having said that, don't hold it against him. Benihana's still delicious. Next point, teleology. Here's a fancy word that you can impress your friends with, teleology. The Greek word telos means end, purpose, or goal, okay? End, purpose, or goal. So teleology is the study of purpose. It's the study of an endpoint. It's the study of a goal. Why does something happen the way that it happens? What's the, what's the why? Okay, teleology deals with the why, whereas science usually deals with the how. In atheism, there is no goal to anything, but things seem to have a goal, even evolution. A goal cannot exist without some capital M mind, meaning God. So let me explain what I'm saying here. For anything to have a purpose or a goal, there has to be an intelligence behind it. You understand that, right? Like only intelligent things have purposes or goals, okay? Yet in atheism, they believe that a lot of things have purposes and goals. The purpose of a human is to, you know, have a bunch of descendants that have strong babies so that they can go have strong babies. There's this goal. There's this thing that we're striving towards. There's this thing we're trying to turn into. There's this endpoint, and yet they deny some mind, How does that make any sense? How can they say that all these random molecules and chemicals that just combined now have all these purposes, now have all these goals, now have all these ends? That's the problem for atheism when it comes to teleology, okay? Give you two more. Love. Let's talk about this. What's love got to do with it, okay? Let's talk about love here. For an atheist, actual love does not exist. The thing that we probably value more than anything else, the virtue that is the highest, Okay, love for the atheist doesn't actually exist. For the atheist, it is merely a chemical change in the brain. We think we love, but really we just have an evolutionary emotion to keep ourselves alive. Why do you love your kids? Not because you actually love your kids if you're an atheist. It is just this chemical change in the brain that happens so that you help keep them alive so that they can make more kids and they can make more kids with no actual indefinite end goal, okay? That's the atheistic worldview. Atheists like to act like they are humanitarian. So this is what's really interesting is you'll see even billboards. I've seen these like in Dallas where it'll talk about promoting atheism or be an atheist or, you know, be for humanity, be for human flourishing, be humanitarian. But how many atheist hospitals can you name? Like when you get sick, let's just go ahead and name some atheistic hospitals throughout the U.S. I can't think of any or very many, okay? What are all the hospitals named? St. John's or something Presbyterian, or Methodist health, or they're all named after Christian groups typically, okay? There are other ones, Jewish hospitals and these kind of things, but there's this, there's this hypocrisy in atheism, which is we're trying to free humanity from all this bad religious stuff so that humans can flourish, but really they don't care about humans flourishing, doing what's best for humanity. They just want to do what they want to do, and they want other people to be free to do what they want to do, but they're not really about helping others. Even when they help others, it's to make themselves feel good, feel superior, feel morally better than all these dumb Christians. Atheism is extremely intolerant, okay? If you are somebody who's big into tolerance, which our culture is, I have no idea how you can even stand any semblance of atheism. It is extremely intolerant. It says our worldview is the only worldview that's right. And not only is your worldview wrong, but you are immoral and mentally deranged for believing it. That's their view for everybody else, okay? is extremely, extremely intolerant. Lastly, there's a problem of metaphysics, 
okay? Again, we don't have time. We could have entire lessons on every one of these objections, but this is just meant to be a summary of atheism before we get into some different beliefs of other religious groups, okay? Metaphysics. Most atheists will say that only material objects exist, okay? Most atheists will say the only thing that exists are material objects, atoms and quarks and electrons and things that are material, things that are matter or energy or whatever, not, not immaterial things, not things like God or a soul or an angel or something like this. Only material things exist. The problem with that is that even the atheist actually believes in some things that are immaterial, okay? I'll give you a few examples. Thoughts. Thoughts are immaterial. Now, you might think, well, the thought in my mind is actually just a bunch of chemicals. No, that's the chemicals. That's not the thought itself. Let me say it another way. If you think of a pink elephant in your mind and I were to crack open your head and look with a microscope everywhere in your brain, would I ever actually see a pink elephant? No, the thought is different than the chemicals that cause the thought. If they link your brain up to all those wires, they can see spikes and stuff in the electrical signals in their brain, but it doesn't draw a picture of a pink elephant. Your thoughts are immaterial. They're part of your soul. They're not things that uh, are, uh, are physical. Numbers are a great example of things that exist that are not material, okay? You understand that numbers exist, but yet, and I know this is a tricky philosophical point. It depends on whether or not you're a nominalist or a realist. We don't have time to get into that. But if you're somebody who's a realist, you would believe that numbers exist, though you cannot see them, taste them, or touch them. Now, you might think, well, Zach, I can see numbers. I can see the number three. That's not a number. That is a numeral. That is a, squ a squiggle on a piece of paper that represents the idea of threeness. But you're not actually seeing three. You can't see numbers. Numbers are these entities that seem to exist. They seem to be real. They work. All the math, it works. And yet, you cannot, they're not material. You can't touch them. You've never tripped over a number one. You could trip over a piece of paper with a numeral of a picture of a one on it, but that's not a one. Or you could say things like existence exists. Concepts exist. There is a whole host of things that exist that are not material, even from an atheistic worldview. Okay, so with that in mind, let's ask a few questions. Let's ask a few questions. Atheism does not ultimately explain why we are here, what gives life meaning, what happens to us after we die, why there seem to be some reported miracles around the world, why we have an intrinsic conscience for right and wrong, why we seek for purpose and justice, why atheistic countries tend to commit the most atrocities. By the way, nobody talks about that. Every time they're like, look how bad the Crusades were. Look how bad these religious things were. Yeah, a few thousand died. How many millions have died under atheistic systems? How many tens of millions died in Stalin's gulags and these kind of things? The atheistic countries are the worst. They're the ones like North Korea or like China or like the USSR or whatever that end up killing the most people. We're humanitarian. We're about people, except all the ones we murder, right? They have answers for all these questions, of course, but their answers seem to be less probable than the answers given in a Christian worldview, okay? So I say all of this to give you one final thought. As we continue this semester and we think about other world religions, we're dealing now with the one that would claim to not be a religion. We're dealing with the worldview that would claim that there's nothing beyond the material. Let me read this to you because I think it's important. The question is not, are there any problems with a Christian worldview? The answer is yes, of course there are. The question is, are there more problems with an atheistic worldview than there is in a Christian worldview? And the answer there is yes as well. Which worldview makes more sense of the evidence that we have, even though neither worldview is watertight? 
Every worldview has holes in it. There are questions that I cannot answer when it comes to Christianity. They keep me awake at night, okay? Some questions I can answer, many, many questions I cannot answer. I've read all the best arguments and it's still confusing, still difficult, still don't have a great answer, okay? That's true in Christianity. That's true in atheism. That's true in Islam. That's true in uh, all kinds of things. Every worldview has holes in it. So you can't say, so, so what a lot of atheists do is they say, see Christian, there are some qu- answers that you don't have, so therefore Christianity's wrong. And then they act like they don't have to defend their position. Well, if they're not gonna be a Christian, they have to put forward an opposing worldview. And listen to this, that worldview better have less holes in it than Christianity. And my contention to you is that Christianity has less holes in it than atheism. If I look at all the evidence, why do we have a sense of right and wrong? Why do we have a sense of purpose? How did everything get here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The view for Christianity seems stronger than for atheism. I don't know either one with certainty. I have to make an argument based on probability. And it is more probable that Christianity is true than that atheism is true. Now, if Christianity is not true, then atheism is the one that's true. It's not gonna be something weird like Hinduism. It's gonna be either Christianity, I'm like 51% a Christian after this lesson because I just put forward some really good points. I'm more like 80% a Christian, but I still have those doubts in the back of my head. I still have those concerns in the back of my head and that's okay for you to have. It's okay for you to have concerns. It's okay for you. God is not demanding certainty. What he's demanding is faithfulness. He's demanding faith. He's demanding that you trust him, okay? Demanding that you trust him. So let me pray for us and then we, uh, we will be done. Almighty God, we confess that in you, we live and move and have our being. That we, as these contingent beings, do not exist without a necessary being. The idea that uh, everything came into be from nothing apart from you makes no sense. The idea that humans have a purpose and we got to today apart from you makes no sense. You are the reason for why everything exists. You've created it. You alone are the only being that necessarily exists, that has always existed. So would you help us believe? I pray for those who are doubting that you might let them know that it's okay for them to have doubts. You exist either way. Your existence is not dependent upon their faith. I pray for those that might be listening that are hostile to the faith and think that atheism is true. I pray that you would give them new life. They can't save themselves. They can't believe in Jesus. They're dead in their sin according to the Bible. So would you give them what they don't have, which is grace and the spirit and regeneration and new life. You must do it. We love you and thank you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.